0: Let us pray. Open our ears to hear your word, O God. Open our hearts to welcome your call. Open our mouths to sing your song. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So on the heels of Jesus' slipping through the grip of his angry neighbors on the edge of a cliff... Luke tells us that he then heads to Capernaum, where he frees a man from the grip of an unclean spirit and restores Simon's mother-in-law to health. Word about Jesus continues to spread, and the crowds continue to build around him. He retreats to a quiet, deserted place where the crowds find him and try to keep him from leaving. Our text for this morning picks up there. I'm beginning to read at Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Listen for the word of God. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "'Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man.' For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken." And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You're now invited to pause for a moment for silent reflection on the text. Amen. So it is February. In central Pennsylvania, and yet in reading this text, I can almost hear seagulls squawking and the waves gently lapping on the shore. And I can feel Simon's bone-deep weariness, as if it were my own. He and the others have fished all night, and they have come up empty. This is not a beach vacation, of course. Simon and the other fishermen are barely keeping their heads above water, far removed from the powers that be in Jerusalem. This morning, they are meticulously tending and mending their nets, hoping that the coming night's catch will be better than this one, praying that they will find some breathing room in full, or at least not empty, nets. Jesus walks on the scene, gets his own bit of breathing room in Simon's boat, and teaches the pressing-in crowds. Then he directs Simon to try again, not in a few hours, but now, not in the safe shallows, but in deep water, while the sun rises away from the horizon. I admire Simon for his honest response. Luke does not record a deep sigh, but I most definitely hear one. (sighs) Master, we have worked all night long and have caught nothing. I imagine the weariness is deeper than one night's disappointing catch, so I admire Simon for the rest of his response, too. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. According to Luke, Simon and Jesus have crossed paths before. While the gospel does not record every single movement Jesus makes, we are told that Jesus has saved Simon's mother-in-law from a fever, so we can infer that Simon has caught a glimpse of Jesus' saving ways, at least with others. Could he possibly believe that Jesus can save him too? I hear reluctance in his sigh, and I hear the tiniest drop of hope in there, too. That hope, some well-loved nets, and some bone-weary fishermen are plenty for Jesus to work with. Before Bernie and his mittens were all the rage online, another digital trend, surprising digital trend, was in the lead for early 2021— Sea Shanties on TikTok. I confess I'm not on TikTok, but I have friends who are. Yes, Sea Shanties, centuries-old songs from sailing and whaling ships. The trend began, at least in part, with a Scottish musician named Nathan Evans, who recorded a track and invited others to join in using the duet feature on TikTok, I think. Other voices from around the world, layered on, and the result is stunningly beautiful. Music writer Catherine Van Arendonk reflects on how odd this trend is. They sound like prehistoric oddities, which is part of the appeal. Simplistic in structure, they are deliberately repetitive and full of ideas and references that feel very, very far from life right now. Aside from the word Wellerman, they're full of harpoons and pierheads and the specifics of butchering whales. She says the most recognizable lyrics are lines about rounding the cape and the love of bonny brown-haired lasses. She also says that sea shanties are also resiliently uncool. I don't know about you, but I'm not all that concerned about whether I am cool or not, especially right now. In this moment when our nation is still on edge and the virus is finding ways to continue to surge, I relish the easy beauty of a simple song. And especially in a time when we cannot safely sing together in the ways we are longing to, I am grateful for the connection these songs are forging. When so much of life is so fraught and so hard, when life for so many is taking on water at a dizzying pace, I give thanks for voices that find a way to sing in harmony. I suspect that Simon feels like his life is taking on water even before Jesus tells him to move into the deep. Simon does not wear fancy waders or wax poetic about the best lures. He and the others fish with nets, not hooks, and they work long, back-breaking hours doing this smelly and tedious work under the cover of darkness. Scholars believe that time spent away from family and home at night contributes to the low honor rating of fishermen. So they are not earning respect or status, nor are they getting rich. Fishermen in the first century were at the mercy of a system that was profitable for bigwigs, but for the fishermen themselves, not so much. Even after Rome tried to cut costs by cutting out the middlemen. The ones doing the fishing were not seeing big profits if they saw any profits at all. Instead, they were overworked, underpaid nobodies, doing little more than eking out a living. And then comes Jesus, who presses them to toss the nets once again. They do what he asks, and they are stunned by the abundance that follows. Their boats risk taking on water due to abundance for once, rather than disrepair, and the catch upends everything they have understood about life in the world. So much so that when Jesus declares that they are now going to be fishers of men, as the older translations and the Bible school song go, they leave everything behind and do just that. As I've said before, I do not love the idea of dragging others to Jesus in a net against their will. That kind of evangelism does not reflect the Jesus I know either, so I have struggled with what exactly Jesus is calling for here. He clearly does not need anyone's help drawing crowds. The deeper we go into Luke, the more the crowds will grow. The language, the Greek, is more about drawing others into the life-giving kingdom Jesus ushers in, but the reference to fishing for humans has other connections in Scripture too. In multiple Old Testament texts, the language of fishing refers to God's judgment and to calling to account those who exploit and oppress the poor. These prophetic texts call for upending the structures that thwart the new life God intends for all of creation. You may recall that just a few weeks ago we heard Mary sing of this upside-down world God envisions. Jesus has been raised on his mother's lullabies, of course. So it would make sense that Jesus is not inviting Simon and the others to join in a simple chorus or to sit safely in a landlocked pew. No, he is calling them to join the risky and disruptive work of making real the vision he has just preached about in his home synagogue the vision that nearly got him run off a cliff, the vision that includes bringing good news to the poor, release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberation for the oppressed. Jesus was and is called to this work, to embody this purpose. That has not changed. Simon and the others, the first disciples, disciples are called to this work too. They're invited to join their lives and their voices with his and to find their purpose, their vocation with him. For you see, Jesus is calling them not simply to make a living, but to build a life. A life not defined by how many fish they can drag in, but by offering hope for the hopeless and freedom for those in chains of every kind. As odd and uncool as sea shanties are, Van Arendonk also insists that these songs are uniquely fitting about now. She says they're songs with simple, blunt rhythms meant to be easy to learn and easy to sing along with while doing the hard physical work of sailing a large fishing vessel. One person is the song leader setting the pace and singing the verses, but the engine of the song is in the repeating chorus that everyone sings together over and over again. They are unifying, survivalist songs designed to transform a huge group of people into one collective body, all working together to keep the ship afloat. I wonder if Simon and the others sing songs to get through the long nights of empty nets and disappointed hopes. If so, I suspect that those tunes have begun to ring hollow. When met by a catch that strains his nets and threatens to sink his boat, Simon falls to his knees and calls himself a sinner. Now Luke does not name a sin, nor does Jesus offer forgiveness. So Simon may simply be reflecting the label that the religious elite have slapped on those who do not worship or sacrifice regularly in the temple. Simon and others cannot afford the time nor the cost of traveling to Jerusalem regularly. And so by one definition, that marks him a sinner, one who misses the mark of what God demands, at least according to those in charge. Simon has likely heard that he is unworthy of God's attention for most of his life, and it seems he has come to believe what they say is true. But Jesus has not come to cozy up to the proud or the powerful. Jesus has come to upend all that oppresses, to bring an end to all that is unjust or cruel, to set free all who are held in chains, and to offer life and grace in abundance. And he invites the fishermen, the unwashed and unworthy ones to join him in this life-giving work. He's those are the first ones he invites. Jesus is the song leader, and he does not want to sing a solo. He sets the pace and the tune and he knows that the song is made more beautiful by inviting others, including those who are the most other of others, to join in. And Jesus calls us, all of us unwashed or unworthy as we may be, to follow too. And as we follow, As we allow his song to seep deep into our weary bones, as we add our voices to his wherever we are, we will find ourselves shoulder to shoulder with others in the same boat, sailing with Jesus into a world unlike any we have known without him. Thanks be to God. Amen.